On January 6th, our Capitol was attacked. It was attacked by people who planned their coup openly and online uh, in plain view for all to see. They were met by a law enforcement response, which was, to put it mildly, inadequate uh, to protect the elected officials who were inside uh, the Capitol at that time, attempting to certify the election of President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. Uh, while the coup did disrupt those proceedings uh, temporarily, or rather the attempted coup, uh, our democracy survived and uh, it continued. Joining me to talk about that day are three veterans of the Obama administration who now have their own podcast. Alejandra Campoverdi, Darian Page, and Johanna Mosca are the hosts of Pod is a Woman, and they are here with me now to talk about the sad and outrageous events of January 6th, but also about where we go from here. Take a listen. Welcome uh, to the show, and congratulations on your own podcast. Uh, it sounds very exciting. You've had some great guests. But, but listen, I, let me just cut to the chase and talk about what's on everybody's mind uh, right now. It is Thursday, January 7th, uh, the day after the Capitol was infiltrated by a mob. Um, I have worked in Washington. Uh, you all, you three have all worked in Washington uh, in the White House. How in the hell did this happen yesterday? Please help me understand it, uh, whoever wants to take it. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but we were all recording during the, when it was all going on and we were all watching it. And Darian, you started telling us like, if this were happening in any other country, I mean, it was, it was shocking to all of us while we were recording. <laughs> and we were watching, we were really watching it in real time. And it was almost surreal that you couldn't believe that the images that we were seeing, that the comments that were coming out, that the behavior by not only these insurrectionists and this mob, but also by the Capitol Police and the security forces. And I think we all, because we've all been in DC and worked in DC and know the type of security you have to go through to get into federal buildings. I mean, and not even just federal buildings, almost any building in DC is so protected. There are so many different security forces there. And to see the way the ease in which they were able to scale those walls and get past security and to be really disheartened seeing Capitol Police be chased around to escort people down the stairs, to be taking selfies. How as an American can you not look at that and really be disheartened by the scenes that you saw? I think that's part of it is that as time has passed, as the day progressed and more and more videos started hitting online and you saw those images, that's where all these questions are coming from. And why, when we saw Nancy Pelosi today in a press briefing say that she had called for the resignation of the chief of police of the Capitol Police. And so I think right now people are asking those exact same questions, Tanya, and trying to figure out how did this happen? Because to your point, everything in the Capitol is set up around security. 
on even a good day. I mean, not to mention a day that is being anticipated on right-wing websites. They were talking about this. They were open and brazen about it. They were calling for violence. There were people saying they were going to the the capital, our capital, the United States, the capital of the United States of America uh, to have the revolution that was called for. And we're going to talk about the enablers of this in a minute. But I just don't understand right? how they missed it. I don't understand how they missed it. They printed T-shirts. I mean, what good they were grief. This was not a surprise. We had members of Congress already evacuating their children ahead of what could happen. To have President Trump take the stage and invite people to go to the Capitol, this was not a surprise to the Capitol Police. So how did this happen so easily? And everyone is talking about this double standard. I mean, certainly you all have seen the image of the National Guard deployed uh, uh, protecting the Lincoln Memorial where nobody was inside uh, from Black Lives Matter's protests. Well, let me ask you each. Do you, did you anticipate this? Did you ever imagine something like this happening, recognizing that the person who is now in the Oval Office came to political prominence uh, by baselessly questioning the origins of your former boss, President Obama. Um, Did you ever think that would lead to a place like this? I know that we did pre-election planning scenarios that um, started thinking through like this particular president, he has shown us who he is. And thank God Joe Biden won. And that is what I wrote to all of my friends and family who may have voted for Trump in some cases. And I said, I hope you all are thanking God that so many people did vote for Joe Biden and that he's going to be the president because this has been a despot leader that so many people have swept under the rug to say, oh, that they agreed with their his ideology. He has always been this person. And um, and so we saw it on full display. And I think all of us were involved in the last, the, in the peaceful transition of power from George W. Bush to Barack Obama. And I remember setting up the images that Americans would see. And so to see that yesterday, I don't know that, um, you know, like any of us expected it specifically on this day, though they had said this, um, you know, to take that step. Like they were energized by one person and that person is Donald Trump. And so for any right wing media organization that is saying that it is the media that inspired him or that it is, you know, the Antifa members dressed as Trump voters, that is not true. One person has incited that and this is Donald Trump. And we all need to call out the racism, the hypocrisy, the absolute despot leader that we have and get him out of power as quickly as we humanly can. So let's take it back to how this whole thing started with Trump, because I'd argue, yes, we've seen this building for a long time. And that was, you know, as a Latina, being particularly sensitive to the way that he started his campaign, which was completely degrading the Latino community, calling us rapists and criminals and so on, the immigrant community. And so when you watch someone who has been degrading different ethnicities and religions and so on from the very beginning, and at the same time, militarizing police, and whipping up this base, right? You see this perfect storm that's been coming to a head. And so could any of us have foreseen exactly how this would go down? Not necessarily, but were all the pieces put in place and 
and it having been a very dangerous situation building for the past four years? Absolutely. I don't think anyone can stand there and say they're shocked. And whoever is doing that right now, I think a lot of in a lot of ways is trying to release themselves from the guilt of turning the other way. That's right. And to both Alejandra and Johanna's points, what this all comes back to is words matter. And we know that the words of a reality TV mogul have led to where we are today. He's not just, you know, disparaged and, you know, really come down on the Latino community, like the African-American community, especially after the summer. This is a man who cares not for the, the responsibility of the actual presidency. He's, he has done this. It has been completely self-serving this entire time. And now we're seeing the result of it. And anyone who is saying, oh, well, this couldn't have been predicted, this couldn't have been prevented, it 100% could have been prevented. I just find it interesting, uh, those who are now displaying such shock and indignation. I mean, you know, uh, all three of you said it. We watched uh, these attacks on different communities from the very beginning. I mean, I know... Um, A lot of the African-American folks that I've talked to who remember when the ad was taken out against the exonerated kids in the Central Park Five, who remember the baseless attacks on President Obama's parentage, uh, Alejandra, as you pointed out, who remember coming to office, uh, denigrating uh, Latinos and and, uh, denigrating our immigrant tradition, Mm -hmm. uh, frankly. And so I feel like for a lot of people, it's like, It actually took a mob to go in and loot the Capitol, the United States Capitol, urinating on the halls of the Capitol, putting your feet up on the speaker's desk, forcing our representatives under their desks with gas masks. It took that for people to say, oh my goodness, we have a problem. Maybe that's the question. Why did it take that much? Well, that is my question. Why do you think it took that much? It didn't even take that much because we still have elected members of Congress defending this. They're saying that he can that he can still serve for the next two weeks. And to me, this is this is absolute proof throughout. Like we had the chance to impeach him before. And I said, like, they've got some real big Republican goggles on right now because they are not seeing the like this person has caused so many to lose their integrity. Like if you watch the videos of Republicans, and again, I have traditional Republican family members, but you watch, like they were calling this behavior out and then all of them fell in line and fell in line and lost their moral character and their compass. I think we are at a point, and I'm not going to say one party has it all right, but I am going to say there is no equivalency right now because the Republicans have lost their moral compass and those who are coming out of the woodwork, good, because we need you right now to stand for democracy. But we also need to have like, the Republicans need to really reevaluate their party when they let this, this despot go after someone like Ben Sass and Mitt Romney who actually stood and, and showed their integrity and their character throughout. So what do the three of you see as the next steps? We are in an era, you know, where this president is going to be called upon to make deals and compromise and work across the aisle. What happens next? How do you see governance happening in an environment like this? Uh, Why don't I start with you, Darianne, and then we'll just go down the road. 
down the row? You know, we're fortunate in that we have a president-elect that's coming into office that has a history of reaching across the aisle and being able to talk with both Republicans and Democrats to get the business of governance actually done. And so in that sense, I am hopeful, but I think that there is so much healing and we talk about healing, but also a reckoning that needs to take place within this government to reach to the people who continue to support him and see how they are either moved out of the way. And this is how we start to talk to the people in of communities to move these sorts of people out of the way and usher in a spirit of bipartisanship and cooperation that helps move the government along. And if we're not able to do that, I don't know how we move forward. I honestly don't. How do we have that spirit of bipartisanship, uh, Johanna, when, again, you have some leaders who are on the other side of the president, uh, the other side of the aisle from the president and the vice president-elect, who are still, to this day, uh, embracing fact-free conspiracy theories, even about what happened on January 6th. I mean, now, you know, there's this circulating rumor that it was Antifa. So tell me, you still have leaders who are completely uh, ignoring facts. So how do you take Darian's great advice and try to move forward? You're so right. And Darian, of course, you know, the, this is this moment um, where, you know, we're seeing already the disinformation in real time. And I think we need to call it out for the disinformation that it is. Like the, the idea that some people believe that the Democrats actually created the coronavirus, for example, like these are these are theories that are circulating in right wing blogs. And I have tried because I was raised by Republicans. And I will say that the people who I was raised by, they are ethical people and they they and I share our moral clarity. And we believe that the best America is an inclusive America in which every American has the right to the American dream in which they can create solutions and sell them to the world, right? That, that, that shared goal has to be given more oxygen. And these conspiracy theories, we have to control how much oxygen they're getting. I was so frustrated yesterday when the network started playing the propaganda video that President Trump gave them that he I I still to this day like at this moment I have not seen any evidence of any journalist seeing him currently recording that video right so I don't know when it was recorded did he know he was going to incite this violence they played a video that they didn't record they wouldn't have done that with us the White House Correspondents Association had very specific rules on coverage of a president. And they had to be there in that room and see that to give that oxygen. And I think we have to get back to that. And I have seen the deterioration of our media model. And I know Alejandra and I worked together at the LA Times when they had big ambitions of being able to cover the good and the bad with a business model that would, would help that. And we've got to get back to that because the oxygen matters. Alejandra, you mentioned earlier, uh, and we have, I keep going back to it, this sort of issue about some of the racialized rhetoric and language that's come out of this White House. 
and then you see it being normalized by folks who are even continuing to normalize uh, a lot of what happened yesterday and the things, the events that led up to it. How do you take the oxygen out of the, how do you not keep feeding the beast, right? How do you not, how do you keep, how do you keep from feeding the beast while at the same time standing up for yourself? Because it also strikes me that a lot of what's gone on here is an unchecked set of folks who've been allowed to speak and bully and they're treated as patriots when in fact they're just mobs, mobsters and thugs and bigots. So how do you, Alejandra, dry, strike a balance between making sure that you stand up to nonsense without making sure, without empowering it or giving it too much of a platform? Touches on your earlier questions um, that Johanna and Darian already touched on as well, which is, you know, at a certain point, the division gets to a point that's a tipping point, right? Where certain things have, certain language, certain um, behaviors have been allowed to let fly because people could rationalize it in their minds, no matter how much we all watched in horror and kept thinking, we've hit the bottom, we've hit the bottom, right? But what we saw yesterday was a tipping point where, and again, not to give kudos to Lindsey Graham or Mitch McConnell, but even they started acknowledging that it's gone too far. And if we think that what happened yesterday is just going to disappear now, once that has been normalized in the sense that we've only had, what well, last time I checked, like maybe 80 arrests or something like that, you haven't really seen a response in the same manner that you saw towards Black Lives Matter, right? So that has been let out of the box, but that is also been the tipping point where a lot of folks were like, okay, you know, I, I can't in good faith stand with this effort anymore. And you're seeing cabinet secretaries step down and you're seeing again, high official, the officials in the um, Trump administration step down. So again, regardless of how cynical we could be about the reason why they're doing these things, we're, we've crossed a line now where it is not, it, it's, we're in a new, um, a time, a new time where it's not normalized in the same way. And so as much as we can call that out and continue to call that out, then hopefully we can start moving forward. So you all three worked in the Obama administration, as I mentioned. And Johanna, I think you mentioned uh, that it was important to return to some of the media standards uh, that used to govern in that administration. What did you mean by that? How are things different? So I was director of press advance, which meant that I worked with all the networks on their coverage, making sure that the cameras were there when the president was going to speak and that um, editorial control was there. The newspapers were there, right? And um, this is not the White House is doing entirely. The media model for uh, our, like the business model for media has changed so substantially over a short period of time because of um, the digital, like digitalization of newspapers, they were caught flat-footed and they were trying to figure out how to catch up and um, all their subscribers, I mean, they're literally dying, right? So um, we, we, I think I saw Andrew Yang actually chime in on this and I said, I've been saying this for years. Alejandra and I've been saying this for years. She's been part of it. We've all, 
we, we have to get to a place in which we are giving the attention to the things that matter, right? And, um, and so, yes, fully funding NPR, like fully like working on local news initiatives, making sure that our stories are being told and that they're being trusted is so important. And, um, and I think that there is a really big, um, you know, as much as the Republican Party needs to reevaluate what they did in allowing this um, leader to hijack their party, I think that we need to really look at the interaction between government and press and the freedom of the press that we have and the responsibility that the press has then to give oxygen the, to the issues that matter to the American people. Because right now, the, the lives that were lost yesterday at the Capitol pale in comparison to the lives that we have lost because of coronavirus, because President Trump has dismissed and diminished the effects of a pandemic. And we are in a moment where uh, Americans are wrapping around banks trying to get their $600 because they are desperate and single moms are living in cars trying to get connected to Zoom because they have no education for their kids. So if we don't think that we are in a moment where we are in a great depression, history will look back at this period very differently. And we need to put in place some really strong, like safety, social safety nets, and some really strong media standards that are going to govern the next 10, 20, 30 years and into our children's future, or we aren't going to have a future. How much of what happened yesterday do you think was influenced by the fact that we are in a pandemic and on lockdown and the protesters essentially had the run of the streets because a lot of other folks are heeding public health warnings and staying inside, uh, not going outside to celebrate what a lot of people think is a historic uh, election of Vice President-elect Harris and uh, President-elect Biden. A lot of people on the other side are staying home. So do you think that that had some impact on what happened yesterday? Well, most certainly. I think that you have two sides of this pandemic. You have the people who are sheltering in place and being really, really adhering to CDC guidelines and staying at home and socially distancing. And then you have another set that thinks that this is completely made up. And it's been stoked, of course, by the president saying, oh, well, this will be gone in a couple of months. Oh, this isn't real. Oh, this is being, you know, talked up by Dr. Fauci that you can, you know, get rid of it by injecting bleach into your veins or whatever ridiculous concept he has thought up. And because it's been given air, especially on media outlets like Fox News, people actually believe that. And they think that this is all fake news, for lack of a better phrase. And so you also see that same group of people who are seeing their jobs go away, who are, you know, seeing... a lot of their economic opportunities, especially those who work in, you know, people-driven um, businesses and lines of work, they don't have those opportunities. They're desperate and they're angry and they don't understand why and they want to blame other people. And so there's anger that's being stoked. And then there's people who are following to, we talk about this a lot, um, Alejandra's really um, holding strict to the sheltering in place and staying at home because of the stay-at-home orders of California. And it's all been so disjointed. And I think that that's where the frustration comes from. I'm in Chicago and the orders that we have are different than the orders that are in place in Indiana and are much different than the current orders that are in place. and the 
sort of death toll that places like LA are seeing. It's just such a disorganized and disjointed response. And so people who would be out celebrating the upcoming inauguration of the president and vice president and the historic nature of it, they aren't having that opportunity. And instead, that air cover and the coverage of President Trump's rallies and the rallies to stop the steal are what's getting coverage. And it's unfortunate that 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 took place and that that was able to lead into what happened yesterday. I have to ask you something else because uh, you are a vet. Thank you for your service. You served in Iraq. Thank you. Uh, You were the lead for the Veterans Family Military Outreach and Wounded Warriors uh, program under the Obama administration. What was it like for you uh, as a veteran who signed up, uh, put your life on the line for your country in another country to see Americans, domestic terrorists, infiltrate your capital. You, somebody who has worn the uniform uh, and and been ready to sacrifice your life for your country. What was it like seeing that? There were um, there were a mix of emotions. If I'm being honest, I definitely shed tears. And I sat with my two daughters, and I come from a family of military service. I'm one of three Iraq war veterans and my youngest brother served in both Afghanistan and Kuwait. And my mom is a Gulf War vet. So we have this legacy of service. And to hear Ivanka call them patriots, to hear President Trump call these people, these insurrectionists, patriots, this mob of people who are dead set on taking over our capital. If this were any other country, and I have lived all over the world, um, thanks to my mom's military service and my own military service, if this were any other country, we would be looking on them and saying, oh, someone needs to save this country from this coup. And instead, we're watching it on our own TVs and like, what sort a distorted view we have that I'm able to sit at home on my couch watching this with my children and it's happening in our own country in a capital where I used to live in a way where you know I served this country to protect it and we're not even able to protect it from people that want to harm our country and from the looks of it and from the zip ties that they had and from the IEDs that were found intended to harm our elected officials and we're not able to adequately protect those officials. We're not able to adequately protect each other. And then to see that the woman who was killed, and this is where I was really deeply saddened, the woman who was killed was a veteran as well. And, you know, I'm just really saddened by, by that, that she served her country and she felt that this was the only way that she could protect the country. And so it speaks to our need to really reach out and our need for healing and our need to be able to, as a country, come together and find, you know, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that what unites us is greater than what divides us, but we have to find a way to come back to that. Alejandra, Johanna, I'm sorry, Darian just mentioned this disjointed uh, response to the pandemic, and I'm in LA too. Um, And it has, you know, when you think about the fact that we're all fighting an airborne virus, and we're treating it like it decides which doors it wants to knock on, uh, to me seems a little strange. And it reflects this bigger disjointedness 
uh, that we see in the country. So you and I are both in California, uh, a state that, um, you know, has been pretty solidly uh, anti-Trump and not embraced uh, a lot of what he has um, sold (laughs) from his uh, platform. However, we have a governor who went to the French Laundry for dinner. We've got local politicians in, uh, throughout the state who, before enacting very stringent uh, lockdown measures, were out at dinner, uh, were kind of yucking it up. How do we expect anyone to have faith in the system? How do we remedy the disjointedness when it seems that it's hard to get almost anybody on either side of the aisle to practice what the heck they're preaching? Oh, Hunter, if it makes sense, I can, I'll address the, the, you know. Uh, please, honestly, yeah, who have, please. Because uh, I, I got to tell you, when I heard about. Fitness, yes, uh, here's. The here's, French laundry. I, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm sitting in California like you. And I, my family, I'm from the Midwest, right? What you say is what you do. And um, I was really disheartened to see uh, our, our governor, um, I know he's re- said he regrets it, but I think, um, you know, more so as a mom of a public school kid, I'm really frustrated that his kids are back in school in person and our, our public schools aren't open. And I think that's why it's so important to have these really honest dialogues in which we can talk about what we are, what we share as values, because I think a lot of the blanket um, uh, proceed the blanket, you know, regulations, which it, to be honest, the states were put in a really precarious situation because this president didn't lead. And so they had to be the ones to kind of make it up on the fly, um, without nearly the resources that our federal government has. So they put these regulations in place that have really tied the hands of small businesses and not given them sufficient, sufficient aid. Because again, the, the reality is, this president has given people loans in a time when people need grants. Now, what California has done, and I will say, like, a lot of people don't know this, they do have a small business loan now of up to $25,000, and they're trying to get it to people. They're trying to get this information to people, and it's in a disjointed, very local effort because they don't have the power of the presidency. So they are going to next door to try to get this information out to people, and I think that you're going to see um, hopefully, uh, this, you know, the state really uh, try to do better. Um, and I, I agree with, you know, anyone who's uh, really questioning it. But um, I think that, you know, truly, it, it, the only reason the states are in this precarious situation is because this president didn't lead. And to address the the fear piece of it, um, the health piece of it. I don't know if you guys heard a few minutes ago, I don't, if it picked up the sound of the siren that just passed down my street. I'm about two blocks from a hospital that is at zero capacity um, beds. There was, there was an email going out. I'm in, in Pasadena at the moment. And as somebody who is a breast cancer survivor and who has three other breast cancer survivors in her family, my mother and two of my aunts, Um, two of which have had chemo, you know, we are immunocompromised in many ways and share the fear of a lot of folks, which is not really feeling that we have a a guiding hand helping us navigate our way through this really scary time. And I, I'm so relieved 
to know that a Biden administration is coming in where we have folks like Ron Klain, who's his chief of staff, but who was heading the Ebola um, effort for the Obama White House coming in, because that has been what's missing. To Johanna's point, it's been this piecemeal approach. At the same time, you know, I, I have been, like many people, very, very quarantined and, and really following all of these guidelines very strictly because what is the option? It doesn't feel like there are guardrails that, that are really protecting us right now. So the option is to stay in and to really hold, um, wait out until we have a coordinated federal response. I'm hopeful that we'll get there. It's hard watching that the vaccine rollout um, has, from what we're hearing, many vials sitting there unused because of the fact that there isn't resources for our states to be able to distribute at the pace that they were expected to. So it is frustrating and scary, and especially for those of us that have been doing everything right. But I hope that people don't get disheartened and just the fatigue doesn't continue to, to encourage people to loosen their um, loosen their protections because in states, again, like California, to your point, Tanya, we're kind of ground zero at the moment. And now is not the time to start loosening out of frustration. So before we go, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast, uh, Pod is a Woman. The three of you obviously have uh, very deeply held views. Uh, I think that that's what's great about this country is that we can follow our passions. How do you balance those views with making sure that you, as podcasters, you know, as you are uh, holders of a public platform, what are your obligations in your view uh, in terms of giving voices to the other side and kind of exploring both sides of an issue? Uh, I'll, I'll start with you, Darian, and we can just go down. Tell me, how do, how do the three of you draw the line? So I think that we bring our most authentic selves to the table. I come from a family of Republicans as well, just very much like Johanna with military experience, but we are all relatively liberal leaning and we are clear about that, that we want to create authentic conversations and connections for women across the country, but also men. And our target audience really is women. And we're looking at those women who have borne the brunt of this pandemic, women who bear the burden of bringing fam bringing their family up while also balancing you know jobs and work and passion and how do we really connect those women to one another because what we've seen and I mean what we just saw of course in Georgia is that women are the ones getting this done we saw it in the presidential election we continue to see it so our goal is to bring about conversations that help people think about their positions that challenge what some of their beliefs are that challenge what our own internal beliefs are. And there have been conversations that we've had that have brought me to tears because it makes me question, well, how did I view hope before I had this conversation? How did I view motherhood? How did I view politics before we had these conversations? And our hope, our genuine hope is that we're creating that question for people across the country. Johanna? Well, I, I'll say, you know, I'm married and uh, my husband and I don't always agree on everything. 
And I think that when we expect everyone, you know, of the same party or, you know, the same race or the same religion or the same, you know, to, to all agree on everything, we're doing a disservice to equality. And, um, and I think that that's what we all love in each other is that we have such different experiences. Um, but that shared goal that America should be the best version of itself. And, um, and so I love uh, hearing from Alejandra and from Darian because um, though we all worked for President Obama, we all have very different experiences we bring to the table. And, um, and it's, you know, those kinds of thoughtful conversations that I could, that I love uh, these women for and that I am grateful every week we get to record. Alejandra? You know, we saw a gap in a conversation that we wanted to create a platform or a space for. You know, the three of us worked in the White House together and that's how we came to know each other and become friends. But to the point that's already been said, we come from very different backgrounds. We, and we also don't have, we are not beholden to a network or to um, speak, uh, being a mouthpiece for, you know, a certain um, organization. You know, we all are beholden to the truth and to the authenticity that, you know, we, of the experiences that we come from. And that's what, you know, women deserve is to have a space where it's just a real raw conversation where they can talk to women who are just like them that may have happened to work at the White House. So it's, it's a great space that we've created just for um, ourselves and just to um, continue to have these conversations and invite other women to have them with us. Last question, uh, because I think that this is going to be key for us to survive, frankly, as a democracy. How do we become better fact checkers? Whoever wants to take it first. I think we have to question a lot. We have we are in a 24-hour news cycle. We are on social media constantly. And that's where a lot of people get their news from. That's where they get their information from. But unless they check their sources and really are committed to finding out the truth before they repost something, before they share something, before they tell, you know, one of their friends about it, because that's what happens, right? You see something, it's clickbait, you share it, you don't fact check it beforehand, and then all of the people in your network see that. And until we start taking a pause and saying, is this true? It's, it's one of those things that I hear my kids' teachers talk to them about, you know, is this helpful? Is this, you know, the right information to be sharing? And once we start thinking, taking that, instead of just being so drawn to, oh, I have to get this information out first, I have to share this first, taking some time to really be reflective on the information and do the due diligence and making sure that that information is correct until we, as a country, are able to take that pause, really, and have that check and have that internal check, then we won't be able to move forward. That's how we start to move forward with real information. I think we make sure that we don't just seek out information that validates our worldview, you know, because we're really being put into these silos now where if we want to just interact with people and places and online and TV that just repeats back to us everything that, you know, we already are seeing, you know, that that doesn't enable us to really be able to understand the nuance and complexity of these situations. Because I guess if we've seen anything over the past four years, this is not so cut and dry. 
And we need to keep having these complicated and sometimes uncomfortable conversations. Last word, Johanna? Yeah, I, exactly what Alejandra said. I go to Breitbart because I want to know what people are seeing. And occasionally there's one little thread that could be true that they've twisted the story, you know, in a different direction. And I think that we need to really start holding these organizations accountable. And um, for too long, we've let money drive all of this stuff. And so some of these companies, look, they're getting an investment to a write-off to invest in some right-wing propaganda organization, and people are taking that as news. And we've got to reevaluate that because um, it's not it's not news and facts matter. Johanna Mosca, Darian Page, Alejandra Campoverde, they are ho- I'm sorry, Alejandra. Oh, you said it right. Did I? Yeah. Alejandra Campoverde. Oh, proud of me. Uh, hosts of Pod is a Woman. Thank you so much for being here. Stay safe. Uh, thanks for being here. I hope you'll come back. I'm definitely going to ask you to come back. This was really, time flew. It did. Time flew. Thanks so much, everybody. Be safe. Stay safe. Thank you. Take care. The Tanya Acker Show is written and executive produced by me. Sam Fergoso is my producer. Andre Lynn is my editor. Cole Mitchell is my composer. Sydney Freeman is my production assistant. And my show dog is Maximus Justice, also known as Max. If you like us, please go on to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Maybe I'll even have the chance to read it on the air. I will give you my hugest and most profuse thanks if you do. Thanks for listening, everybody. 